guys, and welcome to Explained, the podcast where we use yesterday to understand today. As always, I'm your host, Izzy Moss, and I'm a social and cultural historian. Every week here at Explained, we use history to unpack one of today's big social and cultural issues. And I can't lie, I'm very excited about today's episode because today we're talking about Christmas! Now, I must admit, I am a little bit Christmas obsessed. I love the lights and the decorations and the food. And I know it's probably the most cliche thing in the world to say, but it really is the most magical time of year. So I literally would have done this episode months ago if it was socially acceptable. But somehow I don't think everyone would have loved hearing me ramble on about the history of Christmas back in September. But now that Christmas is only a few days away, I think it's finally acceptable for me to deep dive into everything Christmas. Because on today's episode, we're going all the way back to Victorian England to trace the long and intertwined history of Christmas and commercialism and really unpack why it is that we celebrate Christmas the way that we do. Because there seems to be this widely held belief that our modern capitalist world has corrupted the true spirit of Christmas, that we've lost the purity of Christmas in our obsession to buy the newest and most exciting things. But what if I told you that this wasn't necessarily true, that capitalism and Christmas actually joined forces hundreds of years ago, and that we actually have the Victorian period to thank for creating what we think of today as a typical Christmas? Well then, without further ado, let's get straight into today's episode. Alrighty, so with Christmas just a few days away now, I'm sure many of us have been busy getting ready for the big day. Maybe you've been putting up a tree and covering it in tinsel and fairy lights and decorations. Maybe you've been busy buying gifts. You might have a work secret Santa, or maybe it's for family and friends. But you've probably been trying to find the perfect gift, fighting crowds at the shops and hoping online orders arrive in time. And maybe you've been sending Christmas cards to colleagues, friends and family and wishing them a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And then when the big day eventually rolls around, maybe Santa will have come to visit children if they've been good, bringing them toys and gifts, and we'll all get together with friends and family to celebrate. We'll eat lots of good food and drink and celebrate, and we'll probably play carols and we'll pull Christmas crackers and we'll just have a good time with the people we love the most. For many people in the sort of Anglo-American world and here in countries like Australia, this is probably what we would regard as a sort of typical Christmas. But there is this growing sentiment that in all of this, that the true spirit of Christmas has been corrupted. There is this widely held belief now that in our modern world, that the purity of Christmas has been overshadowed or even completely lost to these commercialist elements. There's this idea that what was once a celebration of the birth of Jesus and a time of universal goodwill and caring for others has been polluted almost by modern capitalism. And these critiques have understandably come under even more heat this year with this rising cost of living crisis. This Christmas is predicted to be far more expensive than usual with the costs of food and gifts at an all time high. But is this actually all true? Was there really a time when Christmas was uncorrupted by this so-called modern commercialism? 
the good old days and a time of pure Christmas cheer and family values? Is it the modern capitalist world and our obsession with buying stuff that has corrupted Christmas? Have we really lost the true spirit of Christmas? And are we to blame? Or has Christmas actually always been just about money and spending? Well then, let's find out. So we actually have the Victorians to thank for creating the Christmas that we know today. But the Victorians certainly didn't invent Christmas though. You sometimes hear people trying to say that they did or that authors like Charles Dickens created this festive holiday, but this is simply not true. Christmas has a far longer history and has its roots all the way back in ancient midwinter pagan festivities. It was very common in ancient times for people to get together and celebrate around the time of the winter solstice as a sort of antidote to the cold winter days and a chance to sort of celebrate the coming spring. But from the medieval period, we do start to see some form of celebrations that we would recognize as Christmas today. But it was still a very religious celebration at this point. The lead up to Christmas was all about fasting and praying, which would all culminate in 12 days of Christmas celebrations. It was a time of feasting and games and food, but also pranks and mischief, none of which we would really associate with Christmas today. But it was the Victorians who completely reimagined Christmas. They gave it a new life and supercharged these ancient celebrations and made it into what we know today. It seems almost bizarre to think about, but our traditions and values around Christmas time all come straight from the streets of Victorian Britain. And this even includes the mass commercialization of Christmas that we see today, with its bauble deck trees and Christmas crackers and presents. It all has its roots firmly in Victorian Britain. But before we get properly stuck into this, I might just start with a really quick overview of the Victorian period, just for anyone who maybe isn't too familiar with it. So when we say the Victorian period, we're referring to the time when Queen Victoria was on the British throne, so between 1837 and 1901. And what makes this period so historically significant is that it was a time of huge change for Britain and the world we see some of the most progressive social and political reforms coming into effect, and there is massive economic growth and scientific innovation, and it's a period of massive industrialization too. Thanks to the Industrial Revolution, it was during the Victorian period that we see the rise of mass manufacturing and large-scale consumerism for the first time. Products are cheaper and easier to produce than ever before, and we have the growth of a new middle class. More people have disposable income than ever before, and they want to spend it on all the newest and most exciting products. So it was not long before the Victorians realized that Christmas could also be exploited for commercial possibilities. And the 1840s is perhaps the most pivotal decade here for the development of the modern Christmas. It was during this decade that so much of what we know to be as Christmas was essentially created. So let's have a look then at some of these Victorian Christmas traditions. Let's start with what is arguably one of the most iconic symbols of Christmas. The Christmas tree. Now, the idea of bringing nature into our homes has a far longer history than the modern Christmas tree. As far back as the ancient Romans with their winter solstice celebrations, we see people incorporating evergreen foliage into their decorations. It was meant to symbolize the victory of life over the death and darkness of winter and stand as a reminder that after winter, spring will always return. 
but the exact origins of the Christmas tree aren't quite as clear though. It's a little bit difficult to pinpoint exactly when and where the tradition actually began. So we have several countries across Northern Europe that all actually claim to be the birthplace of the first Christmas tree. We see Latvia and Estonia in particular who claim to be the home of this first Christmas tree at about the beginning of the 1500s. But what is clear though is that by the end of the 1500s, the tradition was firmly attached to German Christmas celebrations. It became such a popular tradition in Germany that the town of Freiburg is said to have actually banned people from chopping down their own Christmas trees around the late 1500s out of fear that the practice was actually completely decimating local forests. But Britain would only be first introduced to the Christmas tree in about 1800 though, when Queen Charlotte married King George III and brought with her this German Christmas tradition. And it wasn't really until the 1840s that the tradition even took off and became widely popular in Britain. And we have Prince Albert and Queen Victoria to thank for that. In particular, it's an illustration published in the 1848 edition of the Illustrated London News. It showed the royal couple gathered around their beautifully decorated Christmas tree and surrounded by their many happy children. And it's this image of the sort of idyllic Victorian family and Christmas that really appealed to the British public. We have these happy children and their loving mother and father and this magnificent tree at the center of it all, decorated with candles and ornate decorations. It really captured the hearts of the Victorians and it was immediately seen as the image of a sort of perfect Victorian Christmas. It was so deeply aspirational in this way. You know, the idea that if Prince Albert and Queen Victoria have it, well, I must have it. But it was also really attainable for even the most working class families. Small trees could be cut down yourself and decorated with handmade or cheaply purchased ornaments. And so the popularity of the Christmas tree took off almost immediately after this illustration was published. And it quickly became the must-have delight for all Victorian families. From the most working class families all the way up to the aristocracy, everyone had to have their Christmas tree. Now, these trees were usually smaller than ours today. They were often only a couple of feet tall and they typically sat up on a table so that everyone could admire this beautiful Christmas delight. And they were often decorated with a combination of candles and dried fruits, which were obviously very cheap and accessible, but they often included a number of purchased brightly colored decorations too, which were themselves exciting and new. The first advertisement we see for Christmas tree ornaments actually only appears in 1853. And the Victorians also always put a star at the top of their tree. This was a very Victorian tradition and became very popular during the period. And there were also always lights on the tree. Now, these had traditionally been candles, obviously, but from 1882, we actually start to see the first electric Christmas tree lights too. But the Christmas tree just became this staple of the Victorian Christmas. It quickly became widely accepted that one simply could not have Christmas without a Christmas tree. And as we all know today, the tradition has stuck ever since. Now in countries like Australia, we have slightly adapted the practice. We often use native trees for our own Christmas trees, but the roots of this tradition still come straight from the Victorian period. Now, what about gift giving? You can't have Christmas without presents, right? Well, up until the Victorian period, gifts were actually very rarely exchanged at Christmas time. 
the main gift-giving celebration had always been New Year's, actually. But at the end of the Georgian period, we start to see this beginning to change a bit. So we see this idea of a Christmas box be born, the idea that children might be given a box of gifts at Christmas time to celebrate, but it was really only a tradition amongst some members of the upper class. But the Victorians take this to an entirely new scale and completely supercharge the idea with consumerist possibilities. So much so that by the end of the season, there was now this new expectation and tradition that all children would have presents bought and gifted to them on Christmas, regardless of how wealthy their parents were. There are really two main reasons as to why this new tradition was born in the Victorian period. One aspect is that childhood itself gets a massive revamp in this period. In the past, children had been seen as just tiny humans, really capable of all the same things as adults and held to the same expectations. But now in the Victorian period, childhood takes on this new importance that we just hadn't seen before. There was this new idea that children should be allowed to be children. And the idea that childhood was a distinct period from adulthood. So it's during Victoria's reign that we see all sorts of reforms be introduced to try to support this new belief. So we have compulsory primary education for the first time and new child labor laws. And then in parallel to these changing ideas about childhood, we have the industrial revolution going on. So we have mass industrialization on a scale we have never seen before. We now have these huge factories that can make and mass produce huge amounts of toys. When toys used to have to be made by hand, they were extremely expensive and only really the very richest of families could afford to purchase presents for their children. But now, toys could be produced easier and cheaper than ever before. Purchasable gifts were now widely and largely accessible for most families. So it's when these new ideas about childhood and the Industrial Revolution meet that we get for the first time this idea that all children should have a magical and gift-filled Christmas. And the ideas have been linked ever since. So for the Victorians, some of the most popular toys to purchase were skipping ropes, toy soldiers, books, and dolls. And what is particularly interesting is that for most of the Victorian period, these toys would not be wrapped. This would really only become a thing in about the 1870s and the 1880s. Before then, these presents would just sit under the Christmas tree unwrapped. Now, I'm not a Victorian child, obviously, but I can only imagine that this would feel like actual torture, right? Can you imagine seeing your new toy sitting there under the tree for weeks and being told that you're not able to play with them? For many children today, it's torture enough seeing them wrapped, so this is just on another scale. But gift giving wasn't just for children. It also became really popular between adults during the Victorian period. Books were by far the most popular presents for adults to buy each other. They were relatively affordable and so they were accessible to a wide range of people. And we also have literacy rates at the highest it's ever been, thanks to the introduction of compulsory education. So what we find here for the first time in the Victorian period 
is that people of all ages and backgrounds are exchanging gifts with one another at Christmas time. This is just not something that we'd seen before. And all this gift giving is then just supercharged by this age of mass commercialization. As we talked about a little bit before, the Victorians just love to buy things. And with the rise of this new middle class, they were the first generation to have the disposable income to do so. And so it's during the Victorian period that we first see this new tradition of Christmas gift giving just turn into an absolute consumerist frenzy. People are rushing to buy as many gifts as possible. They're trying to buy the newest and best presents that they think would delight their family and friends. It all sounds very modern in a way. But this was all happening way back in the mid-1800s. And we even see stores using the same sort of advertising techniques that we see today, trying to create a sort of urgency in buyers in the hope that they might buy more and more. Like in one 1900 newspaper advertisement, a major department store in London advertises their toys with the tagline, for this Christmas of 1900 only. You could literally see that today, but for this Christmas 2023 only. It's crazy. So what we're clearly seeing through all this is that Christmas and commercialization are getting more and more intertwined as the century goes on. The link between the two isn't quite as modern as we often think, but it really began all the way back in Victorian Britain. Now, what about Santa Claus? We might also think of Santa as being this really modern idea, you know, born straight out of contemporary capitalism. But Santa Claus was actually a central part of the Victorian Christmas. Now, what we think of Santa Claus today is actually a fusing of two slightly different traditions together, one from Britain and one from the US that would sort of merge together in the 1840s. So we have the British idea of Father Christmas. He has a very long history in Britain, and he's connected to the pastoral and midwinter pagan origins of Christmas, actually. He's this overseer of the period and its feasting and festivities and merriment, and he's also really connected to nature and this ushering in of spring. Then we have the idea of Santa Claus. This comes from the US actually, from the now famous poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas, that was written in 1822 by Clement Clark Moore. He's actually the first person to use the term Santa Claus in any written record that we have, rather than using the British Father Christmas or the more religious figure of Saint Nicholas. It's also at this time in the US that we start to get the idea of Santa as a jolly and merry figure delivering gifts to sleeping children. And so then in the 1840s, we actually see these two slightly different ideas start to fuse into the idea of Santa Claus that we know today. But while the idea of Santa was cemented early in the Victorian period, it would not be until the end of the century that his image would actually become standardized. You know, this jolly, chubby, grandfatherly figure dressed in red and white fur that we all know today. You actually sometimes hear people saying that it was Coca-Cola that first put Santa in red as part of an ad campaign in the 1960s. But this is actually just a myth. He had already been wearing red for nearly a hundred years at this point. Point. But actually, for most of the Victorian period, he appears in quite a variety of different coloured suits. We have images of him wearing brown, sometimes green, yellow, purple, gold. There was no sort of fixed image of what Santa Claus as a figure would actually look like. 
but it was always this sort of variety of pastoral and natural colours, probably because of this historic link between Father Christmas and the midwinter festivities. But as we come into the 20th century, the idea of Santa Claus and his image that we have today became firmly established in the minds of the Victorians. And just like children today, the Victorian children would anxiously wait on Christmas Eve to see if on Christmas morning they'd be delivered gifts by this magical and merry man who travelled all the way from the North Pole on his reindeer-driven sleigh. Now, for many people, Christmas also isn't complete without sending Christmas cards. And once again, it's during the Victorian era that the Christmas card becomes a staple and expected part of the festive period. It was invented in 1843 by a man by the name of Henry Cole. Up until this point, it had been really common to send letters to all your friends and family at Christmas time to really just wish them well. But this year, in 1843, Henry Cole was a bit short of time and he didn't have time to write all of his usual Christmas letters. So he employed his artist friend to illustrate a Christmas card that he could then just send off to all of his friends and family instead. But this first Christmas card was very expensive. We think it cost about one shilling per card, which would have been a very high cost at the time. Some historians estimate that one shilling would be roughly a day's wages for the average labourer. So this was hardly a feasible economic decision for most Victorian families. But by the end of the 1800s, the practice had exploded. It was now an affordable and fashionable practice for many Victorians. People from all backgrounds and walks of life were getting involved in this new tradition. By the 1880s, there are over 11 million Christmas cards being produced every single year. All of this was thanks to advances in the printing press technology that meant cards could now be produced and sold at far more affordable prices. And they could also be sent very inexpensively too, thanks to a growing railway network and a growing postal system that could reach now even the widest corners of the empire. But I can't lie to you, many of these cards are really quite strange. They are certainly not what we would expect to see on a Christmas card today, at least. Let me just describe to you some of the ones that I'm looking at so you can get a sense of kind of how weird I'm talking. One card I found shows a group of men, presumably playing Christmas carols on the street, which obviously all seems merry enough, but there's a man in a window above them and he's pouring a full chamber pot down onto the men below which is just lovely. <laughs> Another card I found shows a frog dancing what looks to be a waltz with a cockroach. And of course, there's a fly in the background playing the tambourine. What else would you expect? And in another card, there's just a dead Robin lying on his back. And the caption says, may yours be a joyful Christmas. Well, I'm sure it will be more joyful than this dead bird but I can't say I feel very festive by looking at this. And some of the cards are actually just really creepy. I found one card where children's faces are growing out of flowers and another where a child appears to be baked into a pie. And there are so many with clowns, which just feels so weird. There's one in particular that looks like it could be out of the film It or something. It has this really creepy and almost ominous looking clown eating a large pie with a knife and fork, but he's looking directly at the viewer and the caption says, compliments of the season. 
you just have to look at it because this card is literally the stuff out of nightmares. But the Victorians loved them. They loved these cards. The weirder and the wackier, the better. It was all part of the Christmas fun for them. And I guess the tradition hasn't really gone away since. Although nowadays we might be more inclined maybe to send an email instead of a written card, and we probably don't have any dead animals on our cards. But we definitely have the Victorians to thank for inventing this Christmas tradition and making it so widely popular. And finally, what about Christmas lunch? For many families today, it isn't complete without Christmas crackers. Well, you probably won't be surprised by now to hear that it was the Victorians who created this tradition. The story supposedly goes that in 1847, the first Christmas cracker was invented by a London confectioner by the name of Tom Smith. On a recent trip to France, he had apparently seen how the French wrap sweet treats in little wrappers called bonbons. And he supposedly wanted to try to replicate something similar for the British market. So he spent years and years trying to create the perfect idea when finally one night he sees the logs crackling in his fire and it sparks the inspiration that he needs. He thinks, oh, I'll put a little bit of saltpeter in the cracker so when you pull it, it'll make a bang. And the first Christmas cracker was born. But this is not what actually happened. It's a great story though, and that's precisely the idea. The Victorians loved a story. And even more than that, the very commercially minded Victorians loved a romanticized story about a product. Something that could make a consumer connect with a product and be more inclined to buy it. Especially in this new post-industrial revolution market where one could really buy anything they wanted now. And so the Victorians had to work out ways to try to stand out in this otherwise really saturated market. The real story about the Christmas cracker is much less glamorous though. It was Tom Smith's brother, H.J. Smith, who actually invented it. He worked in London, on the West End, in the musicals, and so he understood stage magic and the possibilities that it presented. So it was H.J. Smith that had the idea actually to put silver filaments in these French style bonbons to make this bang that we know and love today. But it was the story about the crackling logs that really captured the hearts of the Victorians. It felt so quintessentially Christmas. And so they fell in love with the Christmas cracker. By the 1870s, the crackers looked just like what we know today. They were these colourful little paper cylinders filled with paper hats and jokes and little gifts. And it was commonplace now for Victorian families to include them in their Christmas feasts. And there were actually crackers for everyone too. This is probably one of my favourite parts about it all. There wasn't just the generic crackers that we see today, but... I guess, trust the Victorians to think of a way that they can get people to buy more things. But one of my favorite categories of these crackers is probably the cracker for spinsters. It's just so hilariously awful. I can't actually quite believe it was ever produced, but they often included things like a wedding ring, a love letter, faded flowers, and a bottle of hair dye. Can you imagine rocking up to your family's Christmas lunch and that's what's sitting on your place? I think I'd be quite offended. Now, this part of the tradition may not have stuck around, and probably for good reason, but today we still love to include Christmas crackers at our celebrations. So there is clearly no denying that the Christmas created by the Victorians 
was certainly dominated by consumerism. We have Christmas trees and decorations and presents. We have Christmas cards and crackers and they're all being purchased en masse for the first time. But the Christmas that the Victorians created was also so much more than just consumerism. They also invented other aspects of Christmas that we still really cherish today. Because it's during the Victorian period where we see this association between Christmas and charity first emerge. While the Industrial Revolution meant there was now a growing middle class in Britain, it also brought with it an immense amount of poverty and on a scale that we just hadn't seen before. In the past, when people had been living a really rural and agricultural life, if someone had fallen on hard times, they would have had their family and community around them to support them. But now we have these massive industrial cities and huge numbers of people are leaving their rural lives and communities for work in these new cities. So what we end up with is too many people crammed into these cities with not enough jobs and not enough houses. And this is obviously a time before the welfare state. There is no government pensions or support. You are really on your own if you fall on hard times. And many people did. Poverty becomes a massive issue in Victorian Britain. But in the 1840s, we start to see a mentality shift around poverty begin. Rather than seeing it as an us and them issue, we are wealthy and they are not, we start to see this idea emerge that to be a good Christian, you're supposed to care for the people around you that have less. And so when it comes to Christmas in particular, with these new ideas comes the belief that everyone, regardless of their background, has a right to celebrate Christmas. So we start to see these Christmas kitchens and charity celebrations beginning to appear each year across the country in almost all the major cities. In 1851, we actually see one of the largest of these celebrations in London's Leicester Square. More than 22 thousand people were served Christmas lunch that day. It's insane. The square was just completely covered in decorations. There were lights and flags and flowers and dried oranges. And to eat, there was roast beef, pies, potatoes, bread and goose. And there were biscuits and cake and tea. We think something like 5,000 pounds of plum pudding were served this one day. And we see this idea of Christmas charity actually start to crop up in other areas too. So in prisons across the country, we actually start to see guards serving meals to the inmates on Christmas Day. It's this sort of flip in power that those in the most power and influence in society are extending their hand to help those in need and without much on Christmas Day. And so it's here that we see this idea become ingrained in our minds that despite life's struggles, everyone deserves some kind of kindness on Christmas Day. And even today, amongst all this consumerist buzz, these ideas still do really light the heart of our Christmas celebrations. You know, you often see things like wishing tree appeals where you can purchase presents for people in need in your local communities. And there are organizations like the Exodus Foundation that serve Christmas lunch to thousands of Aussies every year. So when we think about how we celebrate Christmas today and why we do the things that we do, we really need to think about all of this history. 
Yes, it was the Victorians who turned what was once a season of religious celebration and a time of feasting and merriment into a culture of mass consumerism. And yes, it's true that in our modern world, we have adapted these Victorian traditions and accelerated this consumerism. We are spending on a scale that we have never seen in history. But the history of Christmas is so much more than this. The Victorians created all the Christmas traditions that we know and love today. Without them, Christmas would look almost unrecognizable to us today. They gave us the beauty of the Christmas tree and the joy of Santa Claus and this idea of Christmas charity. Yes, these traditions might be wrapped up with consumerism, but they are such wonderful traditions and so much more than that. They've brought us so much happiness for hundreds of years and hopefully will for many more. So I hope that this episode and a little trip back to the Victorian Christmas has got you all in the festive spirit. I know I am feeling very Christmassy now, if I wasn't already, but <laughs> that's beside the point. I really do hope though that you have a safe and a Merry Christmas and you enjoy your time with loved ones. I will be taking a little bit of a break now though over the festive period, but I will be back in the new year to bring you more episodes and more history. Thank you all for listening, though, and thank you for coming along with me this year on this podcast journey. It has meant the absolute world to me to have so many of you supporting the podcast and what I'm doing here. So thank you to every single one of you listening. Over the break, though, I still will be on social, so come and have a chat to us over there on our Instagram and our TikTok. I'll have those linked down below in the show notes. But I think that's probably all from me for this episode and for the year. Merry Christmas, everyone, and have a very, very happy new year. And I'll speak to you then. Bye. This episode of Explained was recorded on the lands of the Darug people of the Eora Nation. We pay our deepest respects to the elders of these lands, both past and present, and extend that respect to all First Nations peoples listening today. At the centre of what we do here at Explained is the acknowledgement that history has been practised across these unceded lands since time immemorial, shared through storytelling, art, dance, song and ritual. We believe that no history can be truly representative without taking into consideration the contributions and sophistication of First Nations histories and their diverse methods of historical practice. We remember this as we tell these stories, continually striving to challenge and expand what we consider to be history here in Australia.